The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. Yesterday, Joe Biden officially secured 270 electoral votes as all 50 states had their electors formally cast their ballots. So, yes, this is the end, except it already was the end before. And anyway, the Trump cultists are still coming up with new ideas and again, moving the goalposts, which we will get to. But for those of you who, like me, prefer to live in reality, you may recall that on November 3rd, the people voted in their states in a state election, which would determine which electors would vote on December 14th, which was yesterday in the states where Joe Biden got more votes on November 3rd. Democratic electors cast electoral votes for Joe Biden in states where Donald Trump got more votes on November 3rd. Republican electors cast electoral votes for Donald Trump. Joe Biden was expected to receive 306 electoral votes based on the results from November 3rd. And indeed, he did without a single faithless elector. Based on the order in which states voted, California, shortly after 5 p.m. Eastern, cast its 55 electoral votes for Joe Biden. That officially put Joe Biden over 270. So let's look at that for a moment from the California State House yesterday. I will now announce the, t- announce the tally of the vote for the Office of President of the United States. For Joseph R. Biden of Delaware, a Democrat, eyes 55, nose zero. And with that, Joe Biden now officially the president elect. Now, remember, on Saturday, November 7th, I believe it was uh, numerous media outlets started um, uh, calling Joe Biden the president elect. They called the election for Joe Biden that night, Joe Biden addressing the nation and people like Donald Trump and others said the media does not get to call the election. Uh, in any official sense, and the media doesn't decide who is president elect. Now, that was true then. It was also true in 2016. But in 2016, Donald Trump was glad to accept the media's call. But now it is not the media. It is the electors that have voted. So is this it? Well, Trumpists say no, because they still have January 6th. January 6th, what happens then? On January 6th, the House and Senate hold a joint session to count the electoral votes. And Mike Pence will oversee that as vice president. Um, Al Gore oversaw that in the year 2000 when he was defeated by George W. Bush. And Mike Pence will oversee it on January 6th as he has been defeated as well. So the new goalpost, this is the point. The new goalpost is that on January 6th, Republicans in the House and Senate during that joint session of Congress to count electoral votes are going to have objections ready to go. It's likely that when Georgia Uh, When Georgia's turn comes to say we give our votes to Joe Biden or Pennsylvania, you will see Republican members of the House and or Senate stand and object. And Mike Pence will say, for what reason does the gentle lady from Texas rise today or whatever? And they will have some objection. And the goal of uh, that per the Trumpists is to prevent this from actually happening on January 6th. Now, it's going to happen. That this is it's what's going to happen on January 6th. 
You can already imagine the triggering and Donald Trump absolutely losing his mind yesterday as Joe Biden won the Electoral College later in the evening. Joe Biden addressing the nation and Trump just tweeting and retweeting nonsense for hours, posting debunked baseless election conspiracy theory after theory with apparently no understanding or sense whatsoever that he's embarrassing not only himself, but the country. Some example tweets, I can't post them all. I like you too much to post all of the, to show you all of them. But some example tweets from Trump include Dominion voting machines are a disaster all over the country. Change the results of a landslide election. Can't let this happen. Thank you for the genius bravery and patriotism of the judge should get a medal. No evidence whatsoever of any of that. Trump also tweeting many Trump votes were routed to Biden. The highly respected Michigan judge released this epic report true all over the country. This fake election can no longer stand. Get moving Republicans. Big swing state win 75 million votes. That is also a completely baseless claim, which was flagged by Twitter as such. So the good news is we're getting closer, guys. It's it's not that much longer and Trump will be gone. And a major step yesterday with Joe Biden becoming a president elect with 306 electoral votes cast in their respective state houses for president elect Joe Biden. And in the midst of all of this, as if it wasn't an insane enough day already, uh, Attorney General William Barr has resigned. Let's discuss that next. So another big story yesterday, the resignation of Donald Trump's delusional, depraved, dystopian. Uh, what other D words? There's many uh, Attorney General William Barr. He has resigned. Maybe he got fired. As with all of these things, we never really know when a resignation is claimed, whether it was really a resignation or whether it was a firing. But Donald Trump yesterday saying that indeed, William Barr is departing on December 23rd. Sort of generally speaking, the reason given is that Barr wants to go spend time with his family. OK, as you may recall, um, William Barr, was it last week or the week before? Time is so weird right now. In the last couple of weeks, William Barr came out and said, despite what Donald Trump wanted Barr to say, Barr said, as of right now, there is no evidence of election fraud that would have any impact on the election results. And Donald Trump didn't like this and many Republicans and Trumpists didn't like it. But it was the truth. Um, and there were rumors that William Barr uh, may be fired. And uh, there were uh, claims uh, that Donald Trump was thinking about firing William Barr. This is being called a resignation at this point in time. Um, Donald Trump tweeting as if it was all super friendly and super nice, sort of a nothing to see here tweeting, quote, just had a very nice meeting with Attorney General William Barr at the White House. Our relationship has been a good one. He's done an outstanding job as per letter. Bill will be leaving just before Christmas to spend the holidays with his family. Deputy Attorney General Jeff Rosen, an outstanding person, will become acting attorney general. Highly respected Richard Donahue will be taking over the duties of deputy attorney general. Thank you to all. Now, hilariously, Barr's letter to Trump is barely about a resignation. It's a two page letter. The entire first page is weaponized brown nosing, as I'm calling it. Barr thanks Trump for letting him investigate voter fraud. Uh, Barr thanks or uh, congratulates Trump on Operation Warp Speed. I mean, just a completely sycophantic letter. It's just a riot. 
But then the second page is is like one line. <laughs> and on the second page, Barr just says, as discussed, I will spend the next week wrapping up and will depart on December 23rd. Just a sort of casual. I'm out of here. So the speculation is that Barr quit or was fired because he refused to do the things Trump wanted him to do. I think it's really important to understand that while that may well be true, um, this actually reminds me of the Brian Kemp situation in Georgia. Um, Brian Kemp is the Republican governor of Georgia. Brad Raffensperger is the Republican secretary of state of Georgia. And when Donald Trump was insisting and pressuring and pressuring Kemp and Raffensperger to somehow steal the election from Joe Biden in Georgia, a uh, Brian Kemp and Brad Raffensperger refused. And there were people saying, look, these are the these are the good Republicans. They're unwilling to do this stuff. Remember that Brian Kemp is disgusting. Brian Kemp, a secretary of state, ran for governor and participated in one of the greatest acts of election suppression, voter suppression in Georgia when he faced off against Stacey Abrams. It's not that Brian Kemp is a good guy. It's that for just about anybody, there is a low below which they will not go. There is a there is some place where they say this I can't do. And Brian Kemp, in all likelihood, recognized that even if he was able to find some completely authoritarian way to try to steal Georgia from Joe Biden and give it to Trump, Trump still doesn't become president of the United States. And so Brian Kemp made the political calculation that he wasn't going to get involved. Similarly, William Barr, OK, maybe Barr left because he wasn't willing to do things Trump wanted him to do, or maybe Trump fired Barr because Barr wasn't willing to do it. Look at the things Barr was willing to do, including that ridiculous four page propaganda letter making completely incorrect claims in advance of the Mueller report, like Trump was completely exonerated when the Mueller report said we cannot exonerate Donald Trump completely from obstruction. So Barr is no good guy, but it's certainly plausible that Barr had to draw a line somewhere. It's also possible that Barr wants to get out before Trump starts some really humiliating stuff over the next month, which is uh, expected to include some absurd short term appointments, deranged cronyistic pardons that Trump is expected to give, even borderline seditious last ditch efforts to steal the election. So Barr is no good guy. He's horrible. He's bailing out or was encouraged to resign or was fired. And that is as far as we can say it. Uh, beyond that, Barr is no one to be applauded. Think about how much has happened in the last three days. We're so desensitized to the speed of the news. The last three days have seen coronavirus vaccination start for a hundred year pandemic. The Supreme Court throwing out a legal challenge on which Trump and others had hung their entire expectation for stealing the election. Joe Biden officially winning the electoral vote after five months of Trumpist lies and coup attempts. And the attorney general, William Barr, either resigning or getting fired all in the last three days. Uh, on January 1st, we will have a huge one day membership special to kick off 2021 strongly. And I look forward uh, to having you participate. Simply get on our mailing list at joinpacman.com to be notified on January 1st. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. I want to let you know that our sponsor, Vincero Watches, is having a massive holiday sale on all of their products right now, and you can take advantage of it by going to davidpakman.com slash watch. 
a brand new high quality wristwatch really is the perfect way to add something fresh to your style, whether it's for you or a gift for someone else. Vincero is a brand that has a serious dedication to the craft of watchmaking, which is really evident when you look closely at their watches. I wear Vincero watches myself. Lately, I've been wearing one from their Icon Automatic collection. It's the mesh matte black watch, and I love the sleek, minimalist design. Their watches are actually sold at a fair price. Their mission has always been to make a wristwatch from high end materials, but one that everyday people can afford. And that's why they have over twenty five thousand five star reviews, because you won't find a better made watch for this great of a price anywhere else. You can get big holiday discounts on all of their products right now and free shipping when you go to davidpackmancom slash watch. I've put the link in the podcast notes. One of our sponsors is Hydrant, which is a delicious fruit drink powder that you mix into water for rehydration, and they're giving you 25% off your first order. It's made with four key electrolytes that the body needs, powerfully supporting your hydration. Hydrant tastes great. It's made with real fruit juice. It's been a great part of my daily routine for a while now. Keeping myself hydrated puts me in a better mood. The body needs hydration for basic energy and focus, and hydrant is the perfect way to rehydrate, especially because it's cost effective and lower in sugar compared to all of those popular sports drinks that are out there. You really have to try it for yourself to see what I mean. It tastes great. They also have a variety called Hydrant Immunity packed with vitamins A, B, C, and D, which is also very much worth trying. Hydrant has a full refund guarantee if you're not satisfied and you'll get 25% off your first order. When you go to drinkhydrant.com slash Pacman or enter the code Pacman at checkout, that's drink H Y D R A N T dot com slash P A K M A N coupon code Pacman. I've put the link in the podcast notes. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. Remember that we are mostly funded by memberships from nice people like you who sign up at joinpakman.com. Use the coupon code Fresh Start if you want a huge discount, and you'll get the daily commercial free audio and video streams of the show, the daily members only bonus show, and lots of other really great stuff. Joinpakman.com is the place. All right, let's have some fun. Uh, we are going to do a whirlwind tour through the last 24 hours on Fox News as Joe Biden officially won the Electoral College. Donald Trump lost it. We already talked about this uh, officially yesterday, December 14th, state electors voting and Joe Biden got 306 electoral votes. It is over. It was over before. It's extra over now. So all sorts of people appeared on Fox News and they were dealing with this loss in a variety of different ways. Joe Biden said during his speech last night when he addressed the nation that Donald Trump attempted an assault on democracy in trying to steal the election. And that's accurate. And that leads to our first clip. Here is Donald Trump's press secretary and senior campaign advisor, which one she was last night. I don't know. Reacting to Joe Biden's accurate claim about Donald Trump trying to assault democracy. And she's really upset, guys. And this just before coming to air, 
we heard Joe Biden say uh, that there was an assault on democracy by President Trump asking for a free and fair election. That's preposterous. How fitting is your monologue tonight? The assault on democracy was the four-year attack going after President Trump, the baseless Mueller allegations, uh, the, the impeachment over a one whistleblower with hearsay. So she's very upset there, or at least pretending to be. And this is just so simple, but they want to make it more complex. Joe Biden won this election because he won enough states to get more than 270 electoral votes. That's it. And then Donald Trump, despite losing, tried to remain in power. So it is an assault on the democratic will of the people, period, end of story. Very simple. They either don't get it or they pretend not to get it. Here's Laura Ingram in our next clip, sort of begrudgingly conceding that it is president elect Joe Biden but she had to do it in a sarcastic tone. Okay, take a look. Following the electoral college vote today, President-elect Joe Biden spoke to the nation tonight. Listen, as long as you acknowledge that he's president-elect, I don't care if you use a Minnie Mouse voice. I don't care if you say president-elect Joe Biden as Chewbacca. I don't care as long as you're understanding that Joe Biden is the president-elect. This next one is just delightful. Even Trump supporter and friend of Trump, Geraldo Rivera, has to admit it's over. And wild Trump sycophant Charlie Kirk just can't take it and starts arguing with Geraldo live on air. Let's first listen to what Geraldo had to say. The modern history of our country. But to persist in insisting against the Supreme Court, against the scores of lawsuits that have gone against him, every single one of them, that he won, that's why these people, they believe him, they love him, they are following his lead. It is the president who is instilling in these people the false sense that they have been gypped. Charlie makes the point that uh, there are the, so many uh, affidavits or here or there. You litigate each one of them. If someone's guilty of election, fraud, you put them in jail. The attorney general of the United States, William Barr, said that there is no fraud that he has seen of a scope large enough to affect right, the outcome let me, of this election. Let me let Charlie uh, make a closing enough. comment here. Charlie, go ahead. So I'm not thrilled with Geraldo's use of the word gypped. It's sort of like saying you've been Jewed. I'm not canceling Geraldo. It's not the main point of the clip, but I've stopped using that term. But the sentiment here is correct. And Charlie Kirk doesn't like it. And if you try to say something sensible on Fox News, you get attacked. And that's what happened here. And here's Charlie Kirk, very upset with Geraldo. Elections were very much on the margins, especially in Georgia and Arizona. And you suppress that conversation. That is not healthy for our country, Geraldo. All right, so that, so that raises a question. For six, six, for six weeks, Geraldo. we have litigated this for six weeks. Twice we the Supreme Court of the United States before, have rejected Geraldo. it. Nine to nothing, including all three Trump associate correct. justices. But Geraldo, I you think the question is, this. Geraldo. So that's pretty funny. They, they just can't take it. And then as a sort of contrast, here's the news side of Fox News, which is often not very newsy. But even they did say yesterday, Brett Bayer saying Joe Biden has officially won. Well, what is normally a rubber stamp process was anything but today. And moments ago, the Electoral College voted for president in what may be its most watched event in decades, making Joe Biden the 46th president of the United States. Right now, president-elect correspondent Brian Yen. Such an uncontroversial statement, that one from Brett Bayer, which got MAGA Twitter absolutely furious with Brett Bayer. 
And these are some wild times that we live in. And a little bit later, I'm actually going to talk about a very interesting sort of milestone for Fox News, a negative milestone regarding ratings. And the bigger picture is I am very curious to see what Fox News will look like um, January 21st and beyond. Not that much longer now. We'll know very soon. This is a beautiful video. This is a perfect video that I'm going to play for you. This is what you call a political trapeze artist flying around wildly trying to keep it all together. I've told you before that Republicans have been causing a problem for themselves in Georgia because on the one hand they're insisting and Trump has been insisting that the November presidential election was rigged against him. He won, but it was rigged. And so Joe Biden claims to have won. The votes can't be trusted. The Georgia Republican governor can't be trusted. The Georgia Republican secretary of of state is in on it. They're bad people. It's all rigged. And at the same time, Trump and the two Republican Senate candidates in Georgia, Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue, these are the, the races that will determine who controls the Senate after their January 5th runoffs. They've been saying, yeah, it was rigged against Trump and make sure to vote for us on January 5th. What? Because the obvious question is, we, 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 there's a contradiction there. The election was rigged against Trump and presumably also rigged against them in November. Maybe Loeffler and Purdue would have won had it not been rigged. But because of the rigging, now they have runoffs. But wouldn't the runoffs also be rigged by their own logic? This all came to a glorious crescendo yesterday on Fox and Friends when Loeffler was interviewed and she was asked, why wouldn't the January runoffs be just as rigged as the November election? And she just can't. She, she literally cannot explain it. Take a look at this. Uh, we've heard from the president who said that the election was stolen from him, that it was rigged in November. So for the people of Georgia who are thinking about early voting, what can you say to them? They've heard the election was rigged in November. So why vote now? Well, Steve, great question, because we've built a robust organization to make sure that every legal vote is counted and every illegal vote is thrown out. So That's what's different now than it right was now. in November where it's no longer rigged? Yeah, so we're in the courts right now asking for better signature verification processes, a bipartisan verification, to have consistent verification county to county, as well as the addition of 4,000 poll watchers. We also have a statewide organization getting out the vote, 1,000 workers going across the state, backed by 40,000 volunteers. If we vote, we will win. If we don't vote, we will lose the country. We are the firewall to socialism. And you saw in my debate last week, I'm running against the most radically liberal candidate that has has ever run for the Senate. Uh, he's someone that would defund the police. He refused to renounce socialism. We have to push back against this radical agenda of the left, and it's up to Georgia voters to do that. Great question, she says. And and listen to her, her explanations. We now have an organization to count every legal vote. Well, right, but that's that's are you're doing that for November. Well, how does that even relate to what has changed in the system? She says we're in the courts. Well, but none of that's going anywhere. And then she says we're really working hard to get out the vote. Get out the vote is campaigning. It has nothing to do with rigging. And then she just goes into socialism and attacks her opponent, Raphael Warnock. She can't answer the question. So she just has her buzzwords from the debate. But this was a totally different question. If you believe it was rigged in November and your vote wasn't counted accurately or at all, why would you vote this time? Because nothing has changed. And it's a great question. And she says, well, because my opponent's a radical. Okay, that's not really an answer. 
And it's actually a disaster and really depressing that these races in Georgia are even close, but they are close. In uh, John Ossoff versus David Perdue, the average of recent polling is Ossoff plus one, which means it's tied. Could go either way, which means you have to vote. In Leffler versus Warnock, it's Warnock plus 1.6. Again, whether you do or don't trust these polls, you have to vote. If we trust these polls, it's close and we have to vote. If we don't trust these polls, we don't know how close it is, so we have to vote. Either way, we have to vote. And it would be a major accomplishment, major accomplishment to be able to, after everything that's gone down, take control of the Senate 50 50 with Kamala as the deciding vote. January 5th is the day, uh, just a few weeks left, and we will know who is ultimately going to control the Senate. A Twitter spokesperson has confirmed to Fox, uh, I'm sorry, to Forbes, that after Inauguration Day, Donald Trump can be banned from Twitter. Right now, Twitter has a rule called the world leaders policy, which means that the social media company typically will leave up any tweets from world leaders, even if they violate Twitter policy at a more uh, uh, granular level. And their explanation is when it's a head of state, uh, people want to see what heads of state are saying. And so even if the comments violate Twitter policy, we leave them up. And that's the policy that has allowed Donald Trump to spread conspiracy theories about coronavirus and uh, the election and tweet threats and get people bullying others without being punished. And the protection will stop when Trump is no longer president on January 20th. Now, the reality is he's never really been a leader, but he has technically been the president of the United States. The normal process when you don't have world leader protection is that the first time you tweet something that violates policy, your account is blocked until you delete that tweet. The second time you break policy, your account is frozen for some period of time. That happened to Don Jr. Uh, I think it was 12 hours over false claims about coronavirus might have been about hydroxychloroquine. And eventually you would be banned altogether. If Donald Trump does get banned by Twitter, it will trigger him incredibly and it would be a pleasure to watch. But I would rather Twitter get rid of the rule that you can be exempt from the guidelines. Everybody should have to play by the same rules. And if that were the case, Donald Trump would already have been banned for targeting people, for bullying people for consistently spreading disinformation about elections and public health matters. Shouldn't you be held to a higher standard as president? Because in practice, what Twitter is saying is we hold world leaders to a lower standard. And that seems counterintuitive to me. Now, there's an interesting kind of side story here, which is that Donald Trump has been losing Twitter followers since he lost the election. If you look at Social Blade, which tracks data for social accounts of all kinds, it shows that over the last 30 days, Trump has lost about 300,000 followers. That's about 10,000 followers per day. And this is interesting because we've been covering the many ways in which the world has been moving on from Donald Trump and Donald Trump throughout his presidency gained followers and now he is losing followers. And again, the world is moving on now. Big picture. I actually like world leaders being on Twitter. Uh, I follow Justin Trudeau. I follow you know, Argentinian uh, elected officials and I follow the French president. And I like hearing from elected officials in this direct way. What Trump does really wrong is he tweets things that affect policy or he tweets new policy without even communicating with anybody that he's planning to do that. The military trans ban is one where Jim Mattis, the secretary of the defense, was traveling and unaware Trump was doing this and Trump tweeted it and it creates chaos. 
And of course, the brazen way in which Trump uses the bully pulpit uh, to target bullying at individuals and to spread disinformation. It's disgusting. But Trump aside, I like world leaders being on Twitter. Let me know what you think. We'll have more coverage of this on our Instagram page, which you can find at David Pakman Show. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. When you see me sitting here at the microphone, oftentimes I'm wearing a shirt by a company called Teddy Stratford. And I love these shirts so much that I asked Teddy Stratford to be a sponsor of the show. And here's why I like their shirts so much. With other slim fit button up shirts, you often get this weird looking gap between the buttons where it looks kind of stretched out. But Teddy Stratford actually has a patented zipper that's hidden underneath the buttons, which secures the shirt against your chest so it doesn't look stretched. And most importantly, it just provides a nicer looking fit overall. And the entire shirt is specially designed to really improve the way your upper body looks when you're wearing it. It also has a special type of collar that prevents it from drooping down and spreading open, which is another really great thing about these shirts. All of these things really do a lot to make a big difference when you're looking at a shirt. And that's why I like to wear Teddy Stratford shirts on the show. Go check them out at davidpackman.com slash Teddy. The link is in the podcast notes and they'll give you 15% off your first order. If you use the coupon code Pacman at checkout, that's P-A-K-M-A-N. If you are anything like me, you probably aren't thrilled with the idea of going into a doctor's office right now. And thankfully, there is a practical and affordable way to take control of your health and get personalized care from the comfort of your home. It's a service called Steady MD. They're one of our sponsors. You take a quiz, you get matched with a licensed primary care physician who understands your health needs. You have a one hour video call with your new doctor. You establish a meaningful relationship with them. And after that, your doctor is available to you anytime by text, phone, or video chat. This is not a random doctor on call. Each doctor at Steady MD has a limited number of patients, so they actually have time to listen to you. You get the personal attention that you deserve. They can do almost everything an in-person doctor can do, perform medical evaluations, talk to you about health concerns, send prescriptions to your home or local pharmacy, and anything they can't do online, they'll quickly set you up with an in-person provider to do things like blood tests, as an example. You don't need insurance. It's only 99 bucks a month with no other fees or copays. There are so many practical advantages to using Steady MD for primary care, and it's also so much more affordable. Go to steadymd.com/pacman to take the free quiz and see which doctor is right for you. I took their quiz. They matched me with a doctor who specializes in my particular health needs. The doctor they gave me is a really perfect fit for me. Again, that's steadymd.com slash Pacman. There's no risk, no commitment to get started. That's steadymd.com forward slash P-A-K-M-A-N. Welcome back to the David Pacman Show. Today, we're going to be speaking with Graham Wood, who's a journalist, writes for The Atlantic, also author of the book The Way of the Strangers. 
Um, really glad to have you on, Graham. Looking forward to this. Thanks for having me, David. So let's talk a little bit about the concept of a failed state. Um, there are those who have been attributing the term failed state to the United States in the context of the failure to mount a reasonable response to the coronavirus pandemic, very high rate uh, of per capita cases and death. Uh, others have been talking about the U.S. as a failed state in the context of Trump's failed leadership and the U.S. increasingly being pushed aside on conversations of climate and, and so many others. The idea of a failed state and that we had a sitting president try to subvert the will of the people so brazenly as Donald Trump tried to keep the the, the White House even despite losing to Joe Biden. Uh, what's your sense of how accurate this term is and how we should think about that? Well, first of all, I think the term failed state, as you, as you point out, it, it's got a diversity of, of effects. It, it's, it's sometimes just a state that doesn't exist. It's sometimes a state that is malevolent, it's sometimes a state that, that um, doesn't do its job well. And I think of the of the three, we've probably seen most of, of of the last one, but with, with touches of the other ones. So when I think of other states that are, have failed, um, they're all, of course, horrible humanitarian disasters. Somalia probably being the most famous example from the, the, the last few decades. And I, I don't see us moving into that position. W what I do see is enough institutions of government that have broken down that uh, you could be forgiven for thinking that, that um, the pressure tests just exposed huge, huge flaws and shortcomings in government. And the, the most worrying thing, first of all, is, is that they exist. And second of all, there seems to be no remedy for them. They, they don't seem to be getting any better. And there's, there's no impetus, certainly with the current administration, to do what I would say the, the, the necessary work would be to correct them. Yeah, a lot of it is failed uh, failure to meet expectations, right? The uh, when we talk about a, a, a failed state, it's not necessarily some of the things you mentioned, but it's we might have imagined and those who believe in American exceptionalism might have imagined we would have been one of the best countries in dealing with the pandemic, a rich country with so many resources. So so maybe a lot of it is about the failure to meet expectations. Same applies to the Democratic uh, uh, thing, as we might call it, uh, with regard to the 2020 election, just not what people expected. Yeah. So I, I think we can go beyond politics, too. I mean, the tools that the world has used to handle the pandemic successfully, where it's done so successfully, uh, were largely American creations. I mean, American um, ingenuity created things like PCR, for example, that has been deployed at scale with great success in smaller countries with fewer resources than we in the United States have. So you, you start seeing the the expectations just not not being lived up to. That's that's I think the the main thing. I mean, there's also though. The fact that the United States has really never stopped thinking of itself as uh, in, an, in idealistic terms, whereas other countries, I think, have have um, been more cynical about their role in the world. So, you know, it, it's not as likely, I think, to find, say, someone who's uh, from the UK thinking that the, the UK is going to be a, a, a beacon for hope, that the, the model of the UK is going to be exported elsewhere. As Americans, we, we we inherit that. That's 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 part of our legacy, and so we also see ourselves failing to live up to not just our capacities but our ideals that we we tell ourselves and then to a large extent tell other people too. 
You know, I got uh, very interesting phone calls in the last couple of weeks since the election from British and Belgian viewers, a a British and a Belgian viewer. And they said, you know, David, in watching the election take place in the run up to November 3rd and and what happened there and after, um, it's really weird to see people talking about our democracy in a campaign, like a discussion of the concept of our democracy in a campaign, our democracy being at risk or an attack on democracy that uh, it was unusual to even see that discussion. Uh, and it would be unusual in places like the UK and Belgium and, and maybe others. Well, what's your thought about that? Yeah, I think to a lot of the world, Americans look very naive. I mean, we, we think that these stories we tell ourselves are true. Uh, we, we don't assume that they're offered in, in a purely cynical way. Um, and I think that's a good thing about the United States. And it's something that I actually wish other countries would um, would do a bit more of, maybe with 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 the uh, with, with some revisions, as I wish that we would do it with some revisions. You know, there's there's so much discussion of the sins of America, and those sins actually happened. So yeah, we revise our idealism on that basis. But when a Belgian hears us talk about what the importance is of American democracy, if you're a Belgian that there is no current strain of Belgian thought that suggests that maybe the Belgian model is the savior of mankind. Uh, there's definitely a living version of American exceptionalism that believes exactly that. So um, somewhere in the middle is probably the right right place, but it, it means that the, the failure of the United States politically in public health is all that more, all that much more heartbreaking, I think, to Americans. What is your sense of where and how unrest and maybe violence would would develop? Um, there is speculation, you know, both sides love to say the other side is really the violent one. I believe that when you look at political violence, uh, the, the groups that study this have found that it, it really is disproportionately from the right against the left. But, you know, there's been speculation about um, Yesterday's milestone, the certification, the voting of the electors could trigger violence or January 6th or January 20th, these different dates. Um, what is what is your sense about what we might expect and what might really lead to such violence? Yeah, I, I mean, my tendency, uh, I'm, I'm sort of an empiricist. I'm a reporter. I go places and, and see things and work from there rather than generalizing trends and then making predictions from there. So I, I, I'm guessing that going forward, we're more likely to see things that are totally unforeseen come up rather than than um, things like Republican stab in the back kind of narratives, for example, being the ones that 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 define the, the unrest in the year to come. So what I'm most worried about is uh, various unforeseen things that could blossom into much, much more. So you, you take, for example, something like George Floyd. There's plenty of examples of police brutality, of racism. That particular one, I don't think any of us could, could have predicted that it would spark what it did. And incidents like that will happen more and more. It's it's never been easier to take one incident that may very well be illustrative or emblematic or, or, or in a good example of, of a larger trend, and then turn them into something that you could never have predicted what they would, would, would become. So whenever there is any kind of armed um, protest, whenever there is a face-off between militias, say, in an American city, which seems to happen as a matter of course whenever there's any kind of public demonstration, 
you have the possibility where there will be a gun battle in, Amer in an American city. That, that could mean dozens of people killed. I hope that doesn't happen. But where does that start? It starts with one gunshot. And I'm worried that there would, might be something that, that, that begins in that totally unpredictable and even almost random way. Uh, and the effects of that could be, uh, could, could be rippling and enormous. Yeah, what you're really talking about is the importance of what Nassim Nicholas Taleb calls black swans, right? These rare events, which by their nature are unpredictable. Risk models don't account for them. Risk models that say we are accounting for really rare events don't. Um, Taleb kind of uh, elaborates on this further in his book Fooled by Randomness. It even takes a, a important, important role in his book Anti-Fragile. These are these are the fundamentally difficult to pr to predict events, and that's what makes it so difficult to answer these questions. Yeah, that's right. Th these are are spontaneous events, uh, and they are extremely contingent on, you know, if if it's a single gunshot that erupts that 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 gun battle that I, I hypothesized before, then it, it could be because that person leaned on his gun the wrong way. It could be that he he, uh, you know, d didn't have a good breakfast that morning. That kind of thing is usually what what causes to causes um, events to be to be um, kicked into motion. I mean, if we were to look back a year ago, there are some things we could have predicted, some things we couldn't have. We could have predicted that the president of the United States would, would display all the traits that he's shown in the rest of his political life. Those things, yes, but the very fact that we we saw this uh, failed pressure test of of the regulatory and other apparatus of the United States through the pandemic, probably not something that anybody um, you know, had on the bingo card. So th that kind of thing, I think, is much more likely to define 2021 than uh, anything that, that, that could be easily foreseen. I have this idea that I'm curious to get your thoughts on about there are competing forces that sort of make it less likely that you will see mass rallies, huge protests in the United States to the level that they sort of start shutting down aspects of the economy or cities or whatever the case may be. And it's on the one hand, you have the combination of ready access to credit and cheap stuff from China and other countries, which keeps a lot of people just comfortable enough not to go out and protest because they'd rather stay home and watch the game, so to speak. And this is not to diminish uh, civic activism. It's not to pretend that everybody's in a comfortable position, but there's a, there's a swath of, of of the population that may be in a different economy without ready access to cheap cheap stuff from China and without ready access to credit with which to buy that stuff might be less comfortable and thus more eager to go out and protest. Now, on the other hand, you have this kind of um, forced precarity. People who recognize, wait, um, if I take a day off to go protest, I could lose my job or at least not get paid that day. And then my health insurance is in question. And then I don't know if I have food for my kids. And so that disincentivizes going out to, to, to protest. What do you think of that as a systemic analysis? Uh, that maybe so. I mean, the, the Russian Revolution famously might not have happened if the weather hadn't permitted certain you know, crossing of the rivers and, and by by large groups of people. So it, it's not um, it's not impossible that there would be would be things like that that would be equally um, determinative of, of whether people are willing to go out and and be um, be political on mass. Um, there's also though again the, the the relationship for example between the protests that happened this summer and the pandemic uh, 
I think is still un, is misunderstood, underexplored. Um, they seem in some ways to have nothing to do with each other. Police violence is something that's happened for a very long time. The pandemic was, it was almost like a, a short break that people took from the pandemic to deal with this urgent matter. Now, I think there's probably more to it than that. Um, the effects on mass psychology, individual psychology uh, of being pent up, of being prevented from seeing the faces of other human beings uh, is immense. Uh, and once that stops, I think a lot of things will actually change. They might not change in predictable ways, but things like the politics of mass gatherings, uh, that could be one of the things that, that turns out to, to, to change a lot as a result of, of um, the coming of, say, a vaccine. In terms of the psychological, I've been thinking a lot about post covid. I think that even when mathematically things go back to what they were before, where during flu season, you have a higher risk of catching the flu and it's less deadly than coronavirus, but it's the same as before coronavirus. I think that there will be risks that were always there that people weren't maybe thinking of. And you may see folks, particularly in certain risk categories who just during flu season might want to wear a mask or might stay home. Or I think there's going to be sort of a realignment as as a, a flexible as much as humans return to the mean and go back to the way things were. I think that at least for for years, there are going to be aspects of this with us. Yeah, I mean, th there's some just factual knowledge that we, that we have that either we didn't know before or we didn't care about before, like the fact that that, you know, during flu season, you can possibly save thousands and thousands of lives by doing something like wearing a mask. Um, every Japanese person knew that. Almost no Americans knew that. So that knowledge is with us for good. What I'm thinking of more are is about, I'm thinking more about um, different types of psychological effects. I mean, I, I've had a, a a strange pandemic in that I was uh, I was isolated as we were all told to be for for months at a time. I'm glad I did that. And then I've gone out and I've reported too. So. I, uh, and I've moved from country to country, too. I, I've been traveling more than most people this year and have seen how the pandemic looks from, from place to place. And I would not have guessed from my position of solitude in those first months how different the feeling and psychology was, mass psychology was, of going out and experiencing places where the pandemic hadn't hit as hard. So I, I think we can be lulled into thinking that... that um, that nothing deeply has changed about how we're looking at the world um, because it changes slowly. And then once there's the, the great pandemic jailbreak because the, the curve has been broken or the vaccine has been distributed, then I think what will emerge and we will discover with great surprise how different the world has become while we were locked away. That's, that's what I'm actually mostly looking forward to. I think the world will be a, a We'll discover that, that, that the world suddenly improves once we are able to go out. But the, the, the fact of change, I have little doubt about um, massive change. Yes, absolutely. Um, ab absolutely agree. We've been speaking with Graham Wood, a journalist who writes for The Atlantic and is also author of the book The Way of the Strangers. So appreciate your time today, Graham. It was a pleasure. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com.
One of our sponsors is privacy.com. They're giving you $5 when you sign up for their completely free service at privacy.com slash Pacman. I've been using privacy for a little over a year now. You've heard me talk about it before. It's a lifesaver and here's how it works. Takes just a couple of minutes to set up. Anytime you buy something online or on the phone, instead of actually using your real credit card number, the privacy app and the browser plugin, let you give each company a randomized virtual credit card number that you create out of thin air. It'll even autofill the card number with one click and the payment is taken out of your checking account without the merchant ever knowing your real information. So this allows you to keep your banking information secure, but also to take control of your finances. You can create up to 12 of these virtual credit cards a month. You can set spending limits. You can freeze them. You can delete them anytime you want. So when you do this, it means you're not going to be charged when you don't want to be because you can destroy the virtual card number right after using it, which for instance, I love using free trials because I know I won't be charged when the trial is over. If I use a virtual credit card number, you're keeping your identity private by not telling companies who you are. You're keeping your bank or credit card info protected against data breaches and identity theft. And it's free. There's no catch whatsoever. But if you want, privacy also offers a $10 a month plan that gives you 1% cash back and lets you create 36 credit cards a month and a $25 a month plan tailored more for small businesses where you can create 60 card numbers a month and much more. But definitely go ahead and at least get started with the free plan. You'll protect your financial info. Companies can't charge you unexpectedly. And like I said, you'll get $5 to spend when you sign up at privacy.com slash Pacman. The David Pacman Show at davidpacman.com. There are growing calls for conspiracy theorist Alex Jones to be arrested for threatening comments that he made about President elect Joe Biden over the weekend at the supposed million MAGA rally in D.C., which fell just just a little bit short of a million people. And Alex Jones talked about removing Joe Biden one way or another. That was the language he used. Take a look. And it's in the midst of this absolutely unhinged rant. I understand the video quality is not good in this clip. It's actually atrocious. This is the best we were able to find. Take a look. We will never back down to the satanic pedophile globalist New World Order and their walking dead reanimated corpse Joe Biden. And we will never recognize him. Trump. President Trump had zero connection to Russians, no proof, four years of investigation. With the Bidens, it's open and shut. So I don't know who's going to the White House in 38 days, but I sure know this. Joe Biden is a globalist, and Joe Biden will be removed one way or another. Now, one way or another suggests violence. It, it, it alludes to assassination. Given that Joe Biden won and states certified the wins and the electors voted and that Joe Biden will be sworn in on January 20th. And the scariest thing about all of this is that someone as prominent as Alex Jones ranting like this is bad enough. 
But Alex Jones is doing the rant in front of exactly the type of crowd that might actually get some ideas from hearing Alex Jones say this stuff. And that really gets into the bulk of the issue that I, I want to confront. We have to confront. And I'm not exactly sure how Alex Jones lawyers have previously said in court that he's playing a character on his show. Now, that's a very common legal defense for these types. When they say insane things, uh, they will say it, it's a character. But that video clip I played for you is not from a show. It's a political rally. It's a political event. And Alex Jones is still saying these things. But fair enough. Maybe simply saying it in these terms, we have to remove Joe Biden one way or another. Maybe he doesn't mean violence. Maybe he means impeachment or something. Maybe it doesn't rise to anything beyond mere political opinion. But it's not just that this is a crowd that might fall for it and do something thanks to Alex Jones without diagnosing anyone. If you watch Alex Jones and think he's a journalist or someone giving you good information, like I know people who watch him as mere entertainment, sort of like shock value or uh, uh, disaster porn. OK, but if you watch Alex Jones and think you're getting information from a journalist and that maybe that's information that, that you could act on, you probably have some issues yourself. And I'm not vaguely throwing around the term mentally ill, and I know that it would be fraught to do that. But I think that we can all understand that the people most likely to see Alex Jones rants as a source of news and take them to heart are people that he is exploiting who have very real issues of different kinds. Let's put it that way without diagnosing anything. And so the question of how far playing a character goes is a real practical, uh, 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 serviceable question. Jones lawyer stated on the record that Jones is playing a character and is a performance artist and argued that you can't judge Alex Jones based on what he says on his show, that it would be like judging Jack Nicholson when he played the Joker in Batman, which, by the way, was the first movie I saw when I moved to the US uh, back in 1989-1990. But way more people know when they watch Batman and they see the Joker, they know it's fiction. They know these are actors, the people who would hear Alex Jones and think, OK, he's sort of a news guy in some way. They are really uh, doing something that is a much more precarious, precarious situation. Batman and Joker are obvious characters. Alex Jones is acting like a real person who's acting under his own name. And that's why the legal argument that his lawyers made falls apart. But it doesn't matter because he's still influencing people's behavior. I actually believe the better analogy is pro wrestling, where wrestlers sometimes wrestle under their real names and uh, are, are performing in a way that's intended to get people to suspend disbelief. It sort of looks like real wrestling. And case in point, if a pro wrestler, whether in character or not, made a threat to an elected official, I think the Secret Service would immediately act on it to see if it's a real threat. So this is very, very low. And uh, we, we really have a perfect storm here. We have Trump insisting it was rigged OAN and Newsmax supporting it and giving giving oxygen to these ideas and people like Alex Jones and the My Pillow guy, Mike Lindell and others fueling the fire. And it could get very ugly very quickly. Um, I mentioned earlier in the program that there was a really important milestone relating to Fox News that had been achieved. And I want to talk about that now. For the first time ever, Newsmax TV got a higher rating, a larger audience than Fox News at a particular point in time. This has never happened before. And this relates to so many stories and issues that we're following. 
This story is about the brewing Republican civil war. This story is about the growing war between some Trumpists and even Trump and Fox News. And this story is also about the next two years of political media. Recall that Donald Trump for the last year, but especially after the election, has started going after Fox News. Why? Because Fox News accurately reported sometimes that Joe Biden won the election. That's it. That's what Fox News did. That has attracted the ire of the president and many of his followers. And Trump started talking about Fox is done. You got to watch Newsmax now. You've got to watch OAN. And these channels, Newsmax and OAM, OAN, are so outrageous that they actually make Fox News look slightly reasonable if you watch at certain times of day. And we've talked about how this will have an effect. And in fact, even at various Trump rallies, when they interview attendees, and they are asked, you know, even Fox News has called this. Why don't you believe it? They will say Fox News is part of the left now. You have to watch OAN and Newsmax. So this is trickling down to uh, more and more people. This idea that Fox is now part of the left. Um, and so this had a real impact in terms of ratings as well. This is just one data point, but it's the first of its kind. Monday night in what's called the demo, the key demographic of 25 to 54 year old viewers. Greg Kelly reports, which is a show on Newsmax, had more viewers than the Martha McCallum show on Fox News at the exact same time. Now, it was a really small margin, 229,000 to 203,000, really small margin. But it's still a first because prior to the election, the numbers were not even close for Newsmax ever. Now, one thing that remains to be seen is whether Newsmax grows online. When Trump mentioned Newsmax, Newsmax got a ton of YouTube subscribers. Like, for example, they now have 1.7 million. We only have 1.1, almost 1.2 million. But in terms of views, on about half the days, we get more views on YouTube than Newsmax does. So just because people subscribe doesn't necessarily mean they're consuming the content. But even without knowing that, this is a huge media story because I've often explained it's not so much that it's the number of people watching Fox News or Newsmax or listening to Rush that matters. It's that they set the agenda for those who watch and that then trickles down through the right wing sphere. And with Trump in the White House, Fox News has literally been setting the agenda. Something will appear on Fox News and within minutes, Trump tweets about it and it becomes a story for hours or for a day or two or, or, or even for weeks in some cases. So even though only a few million people might ever see one Fox News show, uh, it has agenda setting power. And that's what might change after Trump leaves office. If Trump starts giving exclusives to OAN and Newsmax, even without huge viewership, OAN and Newsmax could start agenda setting for the right. And that, again, would be a completely humiliating debasement of American media and culture. And remember, Fox News really caught on around the Bill Clinton impeachment. Fox News started in 1996. And then when the Clinton impeachment took place from 98 to 99, Fox News exploded and became more like what it has been recently. In the exact same way, Trump's entire they stole the election fiasco of 2020 could be what puts Newsmax and OAN in a similar position and sort of here to stay in right wing media, which is really, really scary. For me, it's interesting because it'll be fascinating to cover this for the next two years. But for the country, it's terrible. And uh, the more people that are getting the new, their news from outlets like this, uh, the worse off the country is going to be. We have a voicemail number, which is two one nine two David P. This is um, 
Okay, so this is the voicemail from the San Antonio troll, and he's calling with a cutesy little fake accent, um, but he actually brings up some interesting aspects that just again prove the degree of of lack of understanding that a lot of these people have. Now, the San Antonio troll has been calling multiple times a week for months trying to get on, and I'm just so bored with him that I've not been playing his voicemails. But there's actually something instructive here. So let's listen and then discuss. Hello, Pac-Man. Um, my name's Tommy. I'm a long time listener. I love your show. Um, Sam, thank you, Pac-Man. I like a lot, you know, our progressives. We, we have the best ideas. They're better than everything. We should even consider other ideas. All of the ideas should be banned. I know you agree with me on this. But um, what I'm thinking as a progressive, you know, a lot of the, the these racist right-wingers, they're all racist, um, they think that, uh, the uh, you know, that we, uh, we're doers, they're certainly not as our do. We should prove them wrong, Pac-Man. You know how we're for reparations, we're for higher taxes, we're for staying at home and not working. Why don't you stop working and only collect the COVID checks? Why don't you pay higher taxes out of your paycheck? And why don't you pay reparations out of your paycheck? Pac-Man? I'm thinking if we do that, if we do it first, then other people will like agree with us and stuff. Pac-Man. I don't know. What do you think, Pac-Man? So this is, um, I mean, obviously th- this person is very, very dumb, but What's interesting about it is that there there are people on the right who seem to not understand the point of society and government and and culture and what constitutes policy. So that's a very, you know, David, if, if you th- which I don't if you think people shouldn't work and should just get covid money, why don't you stop working and get just live off of covid money? Well, first of all, I didn't get any covid money. I didn't qualify for any covid money. That's first of all. So I didn't I didn't get any money from anybody for, for first and foremost. Um, secondly, why don't I just choose to pay more taxes? Uh, that's not policy. Me me choosing to pay more taxes changes absolutely nothing. That's not how we govern. That's not how modern societies make decisions. Me saying I'm going to send the IRS more money, which will mostly go to defense spending anyway. That's not policy and that's not how how adults actually govern. Uh, and then why don't I pay reparations? I mean, I don't need that. One of the trademarks of the San Antonio troll is reacting to things I've not said. I've not advocated for people to start paying reparations. I've said that I think it's a politically difficult thing. And my my views on it are, are not set in stone, but this is not a show that has started saying people start paying reparations. So it's really important to understand. And, you know, the it, I know that I'm taking total idiocy and trying to actually analyze it. But there is something in there that's important, which is if you believe the tax rate should be X, why don't you just start paying that tax rate? And that is mind numbingly naive and also extraordinarily childish in the context of that is not the way a society decides what its priorities are. Um, and, you know, I'm not trying to convince the San Antonio troll, but I think it's important to keep this in mind. We have a great bonus show for you today. Stickers that signal whether you've been vaccinated from covid um, that could be the future. And we're going to talk about that. Number two, who did really well economically in 2020? We know like the uber billionaires did really well, um, but it's actually bigger than that. And we're going to talk about that on the bonus show and major development in the world of electric vehicles. Toyota 
has a game changing new car battery that is building on the successes we've already seen from Tesla and others. And we could be looking in the next five years at extraordinarily dramatic changes in terms of range and charging speed and capacity for electric vehicles, which is exactly what it might take uh, to get electric vehicle adoption to the next level and bring down prices, which is also very important. All of those stories and more on today's bonus show. And I will tell you about today's insane tech disaster, which hopefully you didn't notice. We actually had one of the biggest tech disasters today in the last probably two years of the show. And I think we cleaned it up pretty well. So I'll talk about that on the bonus show as well. Get instant access by becoming a member at joinpacman.com.